stationary. Y'all know I love to take notes. I love to write. I love to write on paper. I love to write notebooks. Matt, what'd you get me for Christmas this year? I got you notebooks and pens and organizers. Correct. I love it. Uh, And I find that it genuinely helps me remember things better as opposed to typing them or like putting them on a, like a text file or whatever, actually writing something down physically helps me a lot. It helps me organize my thoughts. It helps me get my work done. And ever since I got my new uh, iPad and I got the Apple Pencil with it, I have been doing that on there, and that's great. The only problem I've had with it, it doesn't quite feel like writing on paper, which is a feeling I like. We have the solution to that problem. That's right. Paper-like. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a screen protector for your iPad. It uses a proprietary technology called nanodots. With those nanodots, you feel the natural resistance of paper on your iPad screen. It is a paper-like feeling on your iPad. So if you're drawing, if you're taking notes, if you're using your iPad like you would a notebook, here's the way for it to really feel natural. And Chris, I know you love that. You you have an iPad, you got a paper-like and I'm sure it's, it feels just right for you. It does. It feels great to use. Also, Matt, you know I'm very particular about paper. I have yes. specific brands of notebooks that I will and will not use. And paper like feels good on the iPad. Uh, they also make accessories for the pencil to make the pencil a little more comfortable to hold. They make uh, accessories to help you clean the iPad as well. They've got it all. The ability to handwrite notes in a digital form is great to begin with, but getting that extra tactile feeling that makes me happy while I do it, (laughs) that gives me that little dopamine, that little serotonin burst that I like to have, is fantastic. The latest version of the Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils designed for maximum picture clarity. You're not going to lose any of the definition of your iPad screen if you put a paper-like on there. And these foils are developed exclusively for paper-like products. It also always comes in a set of two, so you have a spare. Look, we know a lot of artists listen to this show. If you're an artist and you're looking for a way to make drawing on your iPad feel a little bit better, this is how you do it. So, to pick up your paper-like, head over to paperlike.com Ajax, click Buy Paper-like, and select your iPad size. From now, right now, until the end of January, Paperlike is also including their digital pro planner bundle at no extra cost for every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com Ajax to get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Comics Catch-Up. This is the show where Matt Wilson and I, Chris Sims, we catch up 
on some comics that uh, maybe we missed out on. Maybe they're recent comics. Maybe we just didn't read them 30 years ago. Matt, how are you? I'm okay. The latter is what we're doing this time around. Because we thought, hey, wouldn't it be fun? Wouldn't we have fun? Wouldn't it be fun for us? Wouldn't it be fun for us? Isn't it time we had fun? Isn't it? What if What if we did something just for you and me? Yeah. Hey, Matt. Matt. Uh, yeah. Let's be bad. <laughs> what if we were a little bit bad? What if we were just a little bit bad for Comic-Con? We read something that's been submitted to us numerous times in various every spooky ever lists over the years. The original Rise of the Midnight Suns, which ran through a number of different titles in 1992. And we really thought that it would be fun. Turns out, turns out, Chris, Mm -hmm. 30 years has done a number on this. Let me let me be very clear. We sort of have like a weird nostalgic affinity for Maximum Carnage. And I don't think Rise of the Midnight Suns is too far removed from Maximum Carnage. You are so incorrect. <laughs> Here's the thing, Matt. You just said that 30 years have done a number on this one, Matt. Uh, but as, as you may know, you personally, Matt Wilson... Mm. I've read a lot of comics from the 90s, and I've read a lot of comics from the 90s within the past, let's say, five years. Sure. I've read comics with the Darkhold in them from the past, in the past five years that are from the 90s. Yes. This is, I could not be more fluent in the language of 1991 Marvel Comics, and this is fucking incomprehensible. Certainly the first issue does it no favors. Now, the Let's 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 dive in. The first issue, part one of six of Rise of the Midnight Suns, takes place in Ghost Rider number twenty-eight, which is by Howard Mackey, the one true voice of Spider-Man. <laughs> uh-huh. Andy Kubert on pencils and Joe Kubert on inks. Which the art in this is stunning. And also shockingly hard to follow yeah it's like like look those dudes aren't bad at drawing comic books they're not bad at drawing comic books today and they were not bad at drawing comic books then this is it's difficult to follow and i don't know who to blame because i mean you know howard mackey the one true voice of spider-man He's he's not someone that like we haven't read a lot of comics by. The the number one word I would use to describe Howard Mackey, and forgive me if this is damning with faint praise, competent. Howard Mackey is Marvel's Chuck Dixon, and I say that knowing that Chuck Dixon wrote several comic books for Marvel. Yes, yes. And you know, Andy Kubert and his and his dad Joe. Some of the some of the best father and son artists around. <laughs> who's who's in the who's in the competition for that? John Romita and John Romita Jr. 
Yeah, John Ramirez Sr. and Jr. John Byrne and, and Kieran Dwyer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that might be it. That might be the whole shebang. Yeah. Uh, nominally, the story that takes place in Ghost Rider number 28 is that the current Ghost Rider, who is... Is this when he is just Ghost Rider and he doesn't have a an alternate identity? Well, Matt... Because Danny, Danny Ketch is dead. Is, yeah, he's, he's in, in the afterlife at the time. So this is just Ghost Rider in the absence of his human host... Uh, but this Ghost Rider, it's not it's not Zarathos the Demon. This is Noble Kale. Right. And so Danny Ketch is not around right now because he's dead. But because he's kind of like going off the deep end and going too far uh, with his treatment of, of who he's going to get vengeance on, Johnny Blaze shows up with a cool 90s shotgun. That's right, y'all. Method Man's here. Yeah, that's right. To try to keep Ghost Rider under control. One of the things that makes no sense in this comic, by the way, is right after Johnny Blaze shows up, he holds a shotgun to a Ghost Rider's head and says, don't make me do it. And then, after a panel of a silent standoff, Johnny Blaze just shoots. But it is... Totally unclear in the next panel what he has shot. I think he's shooting the other dudes who are there, but I also think he misses or fires well, I a think warning he, shot. He's yeah, it's like he's firing a warning shot, but that's not how shotguns work. It's definitely not. So I don't know. Like, there's a lot of stuff like that in this book I mean, where it's like, what happened? <laughs> to be fair, Matt. Most shotguns do not shoot out Hellfire, which is what Johnny Blaze's shotgun does. I don't know how familiar you are with this era of uh, of Mr. John Blaze. I remember reading the Ghost Rider series, also written by Howard Mackey, in the mid to late 90s. <clears throat> the one he did with Mark Tixaria. Uh, but this particular era of that, Ghost Rider... That was I'm a not Marvel Knights joint, baby. Yeah. Uh, this particular era of Ghost Rider, I'm not as up on. I will admit. Okay, so the 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 brief version is that Johnny Blaze got like a happy ending, right? Like he was freed from the possession of Zarathos, which is the demon uh, that he was cursed with, and went off to run his carnival as a motorcycle stunt rider with his wife and kid. Now, he has this shotgun that shoots Hellfire, which I don't know why he's aiming it at Ghost Rider's head. Um, if you could picture the character Ghost Rider, yeah, you're picturing like a head that's already on fire with Hellfire? Yes. Yes, you are. Yeah. Good job. Um, so I don't know what he thinks that's going to do. You might have also noticed in the art that he's wearing um, like pleated khaki pants mm -hmm. uh, and a trench coat, but he also has his uh, old Ghost Rider costume shirt on. And that's because it's like, because that's what he was wearing when he got cursed by Mephisto. Like it's, it's like uh, in the silver age, how Superman's suit was invulnerable and Superman was invulnerable. Like that, that motorcycle jacket that he wears under his trench coat has 
mystical resilience to it. He also wears sunglasses at night, but I guess that's to be expected when you do have a gun that shoots fire, which I imagine is fairly bright. Also, it looks cool. Does it, though? In a 90s way. Here's what happens. Danny Catch is about to enter the underworld, or enter the afterlife, permanently. But before he can do that, he and Ghost Rider encounter a vision of the future in which Lilith has taken over the Earth. Uh, That's uh, Lilith, the mother of all monsters? That's right. Yeah, did not expect for this to have an Apocrypal's tie-in, but this, this yeah. is the apocryphal story of Lilith who uh, flew off to a rock and then gave birth to a hundred monsters every day. And Lilith also attacks Danny in the afterlife. Uh, meanwhile, Ghost Rider is attacked by some of Lilith's acolytes, all of whom have stupid names. It's about meat market. Meat market. Meat Market has a body that's made up of different bodies. He's like a Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah. but his name is Meat Market. Uh, there's yeah. also Blackout. And uh, there's a bunch more. They're, they're not good. <laughs> they're not good names. Yeah. Blackout and this other guy. Because like, apparently, okay, so apparently Ghost Rider doesn't kill people. Uh, because, you know, it's it's still the 90s, and the comics code still technically exists. He's been just, like, putting dudes in comas and locking them up in a mausoleum, I think? Yes. With no food. That's That's an important element of this that I noticed and, like, could not wrap my head around. Like, these people are going to die eventually, and much more horribly than if he had just burned them or shot them or killed them some other way. Like all these people are going to starve. It's an odd choice. Yeah. Like there are so many things that I do not understand. And like to, okay, here's the thing. We talk about crossovers a lot. And there's a crossover going on right now that also involves the Darkhold. And it's kind of like, I've always been a little bit annoyed that Marvel will be like, oh, here's, you know, Darkhold Alpha or whatever. But you know what actually helps to set up a crossover, especially if you're going to launch like four new books out of it, is to not have to also deal with everything that's been going on in fucking Ghost Rider for the past two years. Caretaker's in this, Matt. Caretaker just hangs out for a little bit and then is gone. Yeah, I'm sure the thought was, oh, we'll bring in more readers by tying it into Ghost Rider because we'll we'll get the people who were already reading Ghost Rider on on board with the, the Midnight Suns event. The thing is, this first issue barely ties in with the Midnight Suns event. All we get is the vision of the future with Lilith, some of Lilith's henchmen, and then at the very end, Doctor Strange talking to the caretaker about how he is subtly manipulating events behind the scenes. That is the whole thing. Yeah, buddy. If I was making the Rise of the Midnight Suns 
paperback, I would be tempted to leave this one out. I mean, you got to have it in here because it introduces Lilith and makes Ghost Rider and Johnny Blaze part of it. But it's it's not a good first issue. It does not set the tone well for the event. Yeah, not uh, not I a good day. Yes. So yeah, then the second issue incomprehensible. Yeah, the second issue is just a continuation of this. It's a issue of Ghost Rider and Blaze Spirits of Vengeance. Which did that title continue after this? Yeah, I mean, this a yeah. Like, here's the thing: this, like, Ghost Rider was one of those like '90s characters who I think was probably on the level of the Punisher. Like, not Spider-Man big, not not. Uh, X-Men big, obviously, but probably like bigger than Fantastic Four, bigger than Captain America at the time, you know? Yeah. So it made sense that they would want to do like a spinoff because you've got Johnny Blaze running around. And yeah, Matt, this series did go for a bit. And I think there had been Spirits of Indian stories maybe in like Marvel Comics Presents, but Spirits of Indians ran for uh, 23 issues, my dude. Okay. Interesting. Probably one of the longer-running books that kicked off from this event then. Yeah. Uh, the second issue, also by Howard Mackey, the one true voice of Spider-Man, and Adam Kubert. And still fairly hard to follow. <laughs> There's some shit that takes place on a bridge at the beginning of this where you kind of just have to be like, all right, I don't care, whatever, and move on. Because it's just it's just an action sequence to be there for the sake of being an action sequence anyway. I guess Addy, Andy Kubert was just on, on some shit here. Like, well, this is Adam, not Andy. So it's, it's the brother, the brother Kubes. I, I will say... I would bet you some good money that Adam Kubert was able to sell this uh, opening double-page spread for a hot chunk of change. I'm sure he was. Uh, but this is this is not any more comprehensible art-wise as what his brother and dad did in the previous issue, I must say. There's a dude in here who's named Creed. Not, not to be confused like Victor Creed. You already have a guy named Creed, guys. <laughs> But this guy, he's got his arms wide open, and he's about to make my sacrifice. Uh, and he's supposed to be like a, a child of Lilith who, I guess, can be decapitated and survive. He's like a cephalophore, I guess. But he looks like a full-ass clown, Matt. He's super pale. He you, talking has- about, you talking about Violator? Oh, very close. Very close. He's very Violator-esque. <laughs> but I believe this would predate the debut of Violator Princess Clown Yeah, by a little bit. He's got, like, he's super pale. He's wearing this weird mask that has, like, a cross shape over, like, across where his eyes are and then, like, straight up and down. And he has, like, bright red hair that's, like, coming out of the sides and the top. So he's, he like, and he's got these big, like, 
I think it's a mustache, but it looks like how, you know how Apocalypse's mouth has that like weird big line on it? Right. It's like that. He, he looks like, he looks like a clown, but not like a scary clown. He looks like he accidentally looks like a clown. Don't want to be an accidental clown. That's my favorite guided by voices song. After that incomprehensible opening action sequence on the, is it the Brooklyn Bridge that that takes place on? It's a yes. bridge. Yes. It doesn't matter what bridge it is. Yeah. Then we get the reemergence of Lilith. Yeah. The reemergence of Lilith, who comes bursting out of like a giant prehistoric animal corpse. It's Leviathan from the Bible. Pretty much, yeah. Oh, it's Northern Greenland, the land of the midnight sun, which is a funny joke. Uh, she just comes bursting out of the the remains of, yes, of the Leviathan, uh, which is being investigated by some archaeologists. And, uh, and there she is. Why, why does she come out of the body of Leviathan? I could not tell you. She's been That's imprisoned in the body of Leviathan for, I don't know, a million years or whatever. Yeah. Since Bible times. Yeah. Uh, then Johnny Blaze and Ghost Rider go back to the circus where Johnny lives in Providence, Rhode Island. The Quentin Carnival, which you might remember from Ghost Rider's first appearance. Where he is initially attacked by the people who work at the carnival because they don't recognize him at first. Because <laughs> that's what which, happens. Which is shocking. Yeah. How, how many people show up riding an on-fire motorcycle? Good question. Very good question. Then the circus gets attacked by Lilith's crew of baddies and cr- including this guy who does look like violator parentheses clown and Johnny's family do they get do they die okay so this is this is Roxanne who has been Johnny's girlfriend since his first appearance uh, and their two kids they kidnap Johnny Blaze's son I have no idea how or if they get him back. Oh, that's right. That's what happens. They kidnap his son. That's why he's so mad. His his wife is okay. It's so hard to tell what's happening. <laughs> I also don't know why they kidnap his son. Like, because they want Johnny to, like, come after him. Yeah. But, like, Lil- he's already coming after him. Lilith's plans are, at best, disjointed and unfocused. <laughs> yeah. That's a good, that's a a very charitable way to describe them. Because in this issue, she attacks this carnival and kidnaps Johnny's son. And there's like a sequence where Johnny is shooting his Hellfire shotgun at the bad guys. And it's just hitting like arms and legs and you have no idea whose arms and legs he's shooting. But he does shoot that Creed guy's head off. Yeah, buddy. Here's the thing. 
you might be thinking, wow, he has a shotgun that shoots hellfire? That sounds dope. I bet that's a devastating weapon against the forces of the supernatural. That fucking shotgun does jack shit throughout this entire story. Not much, yeah. It, it shoots that Creed guy's head off. Yeah, you, you know you know who, who gets the better of Johnny Blaze and his uh, shotgun that shoots hellfire? Is Blade shooting a shotgun that shoots wooden bullets. Yeah. Okay, his son does not get kidnapped in this issue, by the way. At the end of this issue, he's like hugging his wife and son and like putting them in a car to leave. But I do think that they get messed with in a later issue. Then Doctor Strange appears once again at the very end. Oh no wait, they get he gets kidnapped and recovered in this issue. It, it, both of okay. them are here. Okay. Well, that explains that. This stuff is hard to follow, folks. I know it sounds like we're really struggling to like <laughs> remember the things that happened in these comics we definitely read. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, like it's it's going to sound like we haven't read them. I assure you we did. Part three is the first issue of a new Morbius series. Oh, boy. Written by Lynn Kaminsky, uh, with pencils by Ron Wagner. Who I will, I will say, I like Lynn Kaminsky more than I should. <laughs> but, like, like, Lynn Kaminsky, have you read Scare Tactics, Matt? No. Okay. Scare Tactics is a book about a bunch of monsters who were experimented on by the government. It's a DC book. And then they escape, and then they're on the run, and as they're disguised, they form a horror core band called Scare Tactics. <laughs> so it's like, it's like, what if Guar was running from the government? It's, yeah. it's fun. It's got like, you know, it's got like a fun spookiness. It's got like some gross out stuff. Like, it's not, like, it's not going to top the list, but it's fine. So I was kind of hoping, like, oh, maybe we'll get some Maybe we'll get some of that Link Kaminsky here on the story of Morbius the Living Vampire, parentheses nineteen ninety two. So, Chris, you mentioned the continuing use of the comics code a bit ago. Mm-hmm. I actually had to go check to make sure that this issue of Morbius was comics code approved. Because the first thing he does, the very first thing our hero, Morbius, does in this issue, Michael Morbius, the living vampire, is drink the blood of just some innocent lady. Yeah. We will find out later that Michael Morbius has killed a significant number of people. Lots of people. And we are supposed to sympathize with Morbius. And, buddy, you lost me. (laughs) Yeah, like, I kind of... Don't it's 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 hard to sympathize with them. Yeah. Cause everybody in this book is like, okay, so Michael Morbius's girlfriend, Martine, is like, we gotta find Morbius, and if we can't cure him, we gotta kill him. And they team up with this doctor who's like, I'll help you to kill him, that is. And then when they find out that he's trying to kill Morbius, they're all really mad. And it's yes. like, well he 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 ain't like good now he's he's still a living vampire so but nonetheless 
Ghost Rider and Johnny Blaze are like, yeah, cool, we'll work together. Buddy, I do not know what to tell you. Also, speaking of Martine, she does die here. Maybe that's what I was thinking of about somebody important dying. Martine gets shot right in the chest by that doctor who wanted to kill Morbius. Yeah. And then Morbius, again, not doing much to help himself to endear himself to readers, drinks her blood. Yes. Which, to be fair, I thought was like, that at least does come off as tragic. Where like, because he didn't kill her, but uh, like, he cannot, the, the red thirst is upon him. And he cannot stop himself from drinking all this blood that's in front of him. That came off as much more tragic than like anything else. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, also, he kills that doctor. Morbius later kills that doctor. And when he throws him out of a window after drinking his blood, he says, time to take out the garbage. Classic. Classic. Classic, uh, I'm going to kill this guy line. Then he talks to Johnny Blaze and Ghost Rider for a while. And they kind of say, I guess we have an understanding, and we'll meet again. Here's the actual Ghost Rider's dialogue. Although you have chosen a road which is far thornier than you suspect, I shall not interfere. Be warned, though, should you stray from it, we shall meet again. What does that mean? I'll tell you, I'll tell you who does say something that means something. This is a Marvel comic from the 90s. Yes. It's about to have its second issue. That's right. And so let me tell you, who hears about this uh, this uh, lady dying with no blood and says, it can only be one man, the most nightmarish of all my enemies, Morbius, and I'm going to have to do something about it as Spider-Man. That's right. Old Petey. Yeah, boy. Old Petey's here at the end. Somebody's uh, getting a new series. Lilith, uh, all, by the way, um, does almost nothing in this issue. Yeah, this issue, like, I guess we should say, uh, there's a bit in the first Ghost Rider issue where Ghost Rider has a vision using his penance stare, where he's like, oh, I see a bunch of people who are going to come together and help us fight Lilith. Yeah, and one of those people is Morbius, so that's part of why they go find Morbius. I feel like Ghost Rider has been around long enough that he should be like, yeah, man, it's like Morbius and, and, I don't know, it looks like maybe Blade. Blade and pals. Blade and his pals. Yeah. So that's this one. That's Morbius number one. Woof. Not good. Comprehensible. Hilariously, you can't find out what Peter Parker is going to do in issue two if you're on Marvel Unlimited, because the next issue of Morbius the Living Vampire on Marvel Unlimited is number nine. Uh, Well, Matt... If you had read the next issue blurb, nope, Spider-Man doesn't show up next-ish. He doesn't get here until issue three. (laughs) Okay. They're just letting you know. Plan your week accordingly. Don't buy issue two. Hey, if you're planning on buying issue two, don't bother. (laughs) Yeah. Len Kaminsky, Ron Wagner, is it good? No. Is it comprehensible and does it make sense? According More than the first two. Yes. More than the first two. I like how Morbius is like, I need a new Morbius costume. Because this one kind of looks like it's from the 70s. And he goes to a store and buys it. (laughs) The the big problem for me with the Morbius issue has nothing to do with 
following the story. It has to do with I I cannot get on Morbius's side. The first thing we see him do is murder an innocent woman. Yeah. That that's that's a hard sell for me, brother. Uh, finally, yeah, or next, you don't like heroes who murder innocent people. Yeah, it's just not my thing. It's come up a couple times. Next up, we have uh, part four of six, which is the first issue of the new Darkhold series. Uh, this is written by Christian Cooper, with uh, pencils by Richard Case. I feel like this is this is Marvel trying to do Twin Peaks. It's okay. You think it's Marvel trying to do Twin Peaks, and I don't think you're wrong. I think it's Marvel trying to do Doom Patrol because it's Richard Case. Yeah, it's there's 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 a hint of Doom Patrol in it, but there's definitely some Twin Peaks in here. There's a little guy. There's a checkered floor. There's weird stuff going on. There's like people getting possessed by worms. It 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 it's going for a. It's going for a Vertigo kind of feel. Yeah. Undoubtedly. Even though this is pre-Vertigo, I think. So I guess um, it's going for a, a Helix kind of feel? I don't know. <laughs> Helix was sci-fi. Vertigo was horror. That's right. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like this is around the time of, of Vertigo. I mean, it's definitely, because it's Richard Case, North Carolina's own, there is a a definite, like, inevitability of comparing it to specifically doom patrol and like in general, like the vertigo comics, this would have been right before vertigo was happening. Vertigo formally happens in 1993. Okay. But But it was after doom patrol. Yeah. Yeah. After, after doom patrol, after obviously Sandman had started swamp thing had been around for a while. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like a supernatural procedural book. Right? Vicky, uh, what's her last name? Montessi. Montessi, yeah. Of the famous Montessi formula. That's right. Vicky Montessi. And like an FBI guy? Like just some random FBI dude? Interpol. But you're thinking of Dale Cooper, so. (laughs) I'm thinking of Dale Cooper. And does this predate the X Files? When did the X Files premiere? Ooh, I think it might have been right around the time of the X Files. Let's see. Oh, X Files came out the next year. Oh, wow. Okay. But this this definitely seems to be following an X Files kind of formula too. <laughs> yeah, except for like they're both skeptics until Victoria Montesi is no longer a skeptic. Okay, so it's Victoria Montesi and an Interpol guy investigating like supernatural crimes. That's that's the premise of this book. Yeah, and in this particular deep. issue, it's demon worms that are infecting a dude who's like killing people. Yeah. Y'all know the Darkhold. It's the Book of Sins. Yeah. And uh, there are lost pages from the Book of Sins. That I don't know how there are lost pages, because like there, there's pages that came out, even though the book itself is indestructible and like bound in Elder God skin. But I guess you know that's what the book wants. So, as you know, the Darkhold is so evil that you cannot even hold it without being tainted by uh, the powers of Chthon. But if you just take one page, then you get the demon curse. And so it's up to Victoria Montesi, whose family, the Montesi family, uh, has been charged with guarding the Dark Soul because they are mystically incorruptible. And, you know, that's not a bad premise for a book. 
it, it, I think it's a great premise because it's very like episodic. Like you said, it's very procedural. It's, so, it's oh, a, somebody with a with a dark hold thing going on. We got to go get them. It's a supernatural procedural. It's it's X Files. It's supernatural. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think what makes this issue a little, and it's also got like the overarching stuff that proceeds through the whole series, which makes it more Twin Peaksy, right? Mm-hmm. There's not one overarching mystery like Twin Peaks, but there's like characters in the overarching Darkhold thing. Like it's a good premise. It's a very good premise for a comic. The problem is Ghost Rider and Johnny Blaze have to be in this issue and Lilith has to be in this issue. <laughs> and they kind of shouldn't be. Yeah. Like this is damaged by being part of a crossover. Yeah. It's like because also Victoria Montesi does nothing in the rest of the story. Like when they have the well, big climax. They're just regular people, right? Like Vicky Montesi can't be cursed. And the Interpol, and so I guess that gives her something. But like the other guy's just a cop, like a international cop. Yeah, and like, then what's he going to do against Lilith? Then there's Louise, who's like a college professor, who yeah. also like she, she's the one who knows about all the Darkhold stuff. I do think this is far and away the best of the issues of the crossover. I would agree. Uh, Richard Case does a great job drawing it. I mean, like it's. Very creepy. Yeah. Uh, I think it's got, you know, a good formula, like we said. Uh, Victoria Montesi is an interesting character. Because uh, she's she, she gets involved in some stuff. Like, she's got... She is set up as having, like, normal human problems that sees being problems immediately because the fucking dark hole gets involved. But, yeah. like, we get a little bit of her in her day-to-day uh, enough to kind of, like... See, oh, she's she's interesting. You can relate to her. Yeah. In a way that you cannot relate to Johnny Blaze. You cannot relate to Johnny Blaze. His family lives in a carnival. You can't relate to Johnny Blaze. You can't relate to the Spirit of Vengeance Ghost Rider. You cannot relate to Morbius. It, it, you just can't. I don't know, Matt. Haven't we all faced curses? Haven't, Haven't we all, we all demons? had the, the red hunger? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. Vicky Montesi is like by far, I think the most relatable character uh, in the thing. It makes me honestly want to read more of this Darkhold series, which is on Marvel Unlimited. Yeah, I've I've read it. I mean, we uh, when Chad Bowers and I were writing X Men ninety two, we used uh, the the this is the name of the character. He's never like given a name, but if you look him up on like uh, the Marvel Wiki, he's the Darkhold Dwarf. Is the name of the character? Yeah. Uh, we used him as part of like the Darkhold, the, the digital Darkhold program, uh, and we kind of, we did our like Montesi formula riff. And yeah, like this, like this book's good. I am unfamiliar with Christian Cooper. Otherwise, Christian Cooper has written uh, some other comics. Uh, perhaps most recently, he's most famous for uh, having <sighs> he's the, the cops he's called the, on him in Central yeah, Park for robot. having a dog. Okay, yeah, yeah. that's him. Yeah. That's him. Yeah, uh, he did okay. that that story in DC represent like last year. That was pretty uh, good. Yeah. Okay. I didn't put that together. That's who that was. Yeah. He's good. <laughs> he uh, he wrote sixteen issues of this Darkhold series. He had a run on Excalibur, a short one. He wrote nineteen issues of Starfleet Academy. Hell yes! I remember reading Starfleet Academy when I was a kid. That book was good. 
And uh, he did some stories in Marvel Comics Presents. That's that's Christian Cooper. Christian Cooper uh, likes bird watching and writing uh, stories about the Darkhold. Yeah, uh, it makes again. It apparently it is on Marvel Unlimited. I would go read the rest of this Darkhold series based on this issue, because yeah, like the Darkhold dwarf is absolutely the little guy who talks backwards, uh, who later becomes a tree in uh, Twin Peaks: The Return. His name is the man from another, from another place. place. Yeah, yeah. He's the, the little the dark hold dwarf in Darkhold is absolutely the man from another place from yeah. Twin Peaks. But it does not explain like what his deal is in this first issue. That he's kind of like the the manifestation of the Darkhold. Well, you know, so he's supposed to this, be he's supposed to be mysterious. I get it. Yeah, there's a compelling mystery in this one that there is not elsewhere. Part five is Night Stalkers number one, which Oof. is not the best book of the six, but does have the best logo. I love this logo. The logo is very good. I like the Darkhold logo too. Uh, this is written by DG Chichester with pencils by Ron Garney. And uh, yeah, this is uh, Blade and his pals. Blade and his pals getting back together after some time apart. Hey, can I ask you a question? Please do. Why does Frank Drake dress like that? No idea. Yeah, so this is kind of... This is the sequel to Tomb of Dracula. Because all of these are characters who first appeared in Tomb of Dracula. It's Hannibal King, Frank Drake, and Blade. And it's wild to read this looking back from a post-1998 world, where Blade is just like the the tertiary character of the three of them and is like super one note and boring. Yeah. It's so strange. Yeah. He's been in a psych ward because he believes in vampires. Now I remind you that this comic takes place in the fucking Marvel universe. There's that. Um, Also remember earlier when we said that Lilith's plans have been disjointed and unfocused. In this issue, what Lilith decides to do is come bursting out of a shark at an aquarium to mess with Frank's wife, Marlene. Yeah, I'm not... I'm Which is interesting to see a character named Marlene in a, in a comic. You don't see that too much. Oh, man. And, 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 she's, and she's somebody's wife, too. <laughs> yeah. and, and is little more than a prop. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately. Very unfortunate. Yeah, Marlene is literally, like, I think she has, like, two lines of dialogue, and then she is put into a vegetative state, like Linda McMahon. Yeah, it's uh, it's not great. Yeah, I, I am unclear on whether Lilith actually does. It's I think it's a, supposed to be, like, a little whale. It looks more like a dolphin. It also kind of looks like a shark. It's tough to say. And again, I like Ron Garney. Ron Garney's not bad. Ron Garney's, Ron Garney's doing some weird stuff in this. This yeah. does not look like typical Ron Garney art. It looks like he's trying to do a John Romita Jr. Yeah, it, it, everybody is approaching these. And I think Richard Case does the best job of it. But everybody's approaching these like they're drawing a scary comic. There's a lot of shadows. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't have the like readability of if they were just trying to do like a superhero comic, I think is the problem because Ron Garney, like I've got Ron Garney originals, like he's he's good. 
Ron Gardy's good. The, that, that cap run, yeah, untouchable. That shit's great. So that's what's happening with Frank. Hannibal is going to see a doctor who is actually Doctor Strange. Because Doctor Strange is trying to get the team back together. This is the most involved Doctor Strange is at, at any point, by the way. Blade is getting finally let out of the asylum slash prison he was in. And uh, a guard asks him, got a lead on a life loony? I want to know where to tell him to look when they run your profile on America's Most Wanted. And uh, when Blade does not laugh, the guy says, hey, it's a joke, man. Ha ha. Which is what assholes do. That guy's a huge asshole. Yeah, I mean, then, like, I don't I don't think this guy would be employed by like a mental hospital today. But I mean, like, look, I saw this movie, Matt. Um, it was called Joker 2019. Oh, yeah. And it painted a pretty grim picture. Speaking of Joker 2019, the next set of dialogue has my favorite line in this entire thing, which Blade says. He says, land of the free, home of the brave, enough to face me again. Thanks for nothing, society. (laughs) Why isn't he in Ravencroft? This would have been like the perfect opportunity to put him in Ravencroft. I guess because I think they're supposed to be in Boston. Yeah, it, it. I would assume it has something to do with like the Spider-Man editorial team was doing something with Ravencroft at the time or something. I have no idea. Uh, then we get Meat Market. Meat Market does some garbage here. Lilith like, finds out that since there's nine people in this prophecy, she just has to kill one of them to disrupt their mystical potency. Right. Because nine is a magic number. Right. So she sends Blade and Pals, the borderline investigative agency. You know, the Night Stalkers from Blade 3. Yeah. She sends them after Ghost Rider and Johnny Blaze, hoping that they'll kill each other. But, of course, they figure out that they're being played. Played. After fighting for a while. Played Trinity. <laughs> after fighting for a while, after there's a big like half-page splash of uh, Hannibal blasting Ghost Rider with a big laser. The only thing that's like good about this, and I, I, I hope I hope he got like 20 bucks out of this, is that uh, D.G. Chichester does write the line where like when Blade's in the mental hospital, they're like, you know, he's like, vampires, they're out there. And they're like, oh, well, Blade, what if we, you know, what if there were worse things than vampires? And he's like, no, there's nothing worse. Uh, and then they kind of convince him there are other evil creatures in the night, which I don't, I'm, that's not effective therapy. But then, like, later on, Blade goes, yeah, there's something more dangerous out here than vampires. Me. And that's a good line that is used in the film Blade. <laughs> so I hope, I hope uh, that, that scalawag David S. Goyer kicked uh, kicked old DG 20 bucks on that one. So after the Night Stalkers and the Ghost Riders, the Spirits of Vengeance, uh, decide they need to work together instead of against each other, uh, they get attacked by Meat Market, who then gets his head cut off by Blade. Then Lilith and Doctor Strange have a showdown. They're on the Constitution. That's right. 
Because they're like, they're just like, oh, let's go to a tourist attraction. That's right. And uh, Doctor Strange explains why he can't fight Lilith directly. Which is, a direct collision of powers such as ours would weaken the dimensional walls even further, and allow you to summon your scattered children of damnation that much easier. So that's why. Then he gives a little speech about how brave men fought on the Constitution. Just like his new team of Midnight Suns is uh, is going to fight her now. No other issues of Night Stalkers are on Marvel Unlimited. Not a single one. Finally, we have part six, which happens in Ghost Rider number 31. Once again, by Howard Mackey, Andy Kubert, and Joe Kubert. And, yeah, uh, um, if you were paying attention, you might have noticed, hey, wasn't the first part of the story in Ghost Rider 28? Yeah. What happens in Ghost Riders 29 and 30? Well, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so for some reason, this, this event took four months. I guess it had to do with the release schedule of the new number ones. I have no idea. But it sure didn't happen in the order that you would have thought. Anyway, uh, all of the assembled Midnight Suns, who just get like teleported to the Arctic Circle, like yeah. back to Greenland again. Uh, fucking the the night stalkers like go back to their office and like we gotta break into our own office and then that shit blows up and it's just like oh we're in the arctic yeah like what everybody gets teleported to greenland where lilith first appeared five issues ago and then there's just a big fight like it's it's a big fight that lasts the whole issue and who? What ends up taking down Lilith? I don't even remember. Okay, this part is actually great. It would have been like way better if we could tell what the fuck was going on. Uh, but at one point, Lilith's big plan is that she has one of her children like open up a portal by like cutting her body, so that it cut down her chest and like she opens it up and like she reaches in to her own chest portal and pulls Danny Ketch out of heaven? Question mark? The hell? The fucking road? And then puts him in a meat market body and is like like, yeah, no, this is is what Danny Ketch is doing now. And everybody's like, no, we can't destroy that. Danny's in there. Uh, But then, Ghost Rider (laughs) at the end of the story, Ghost Rider grabs her by the head and goes, now let's see what happens if we try this. And like Mortal Kombat style, like bends her so that he shoves her own head into the portal in her own chest. Yes, that is what happens. It's, it's a little hard to follow in the art, but that is exactly what happens. Yeah. If it had been comprehensible, it would have been great, but like it's, that's, that's funny. Got to give it up to Howard Mackey on that one. But then, She's not actually gone, and so there's like a teaser at the end where Lilith is still around. I don't know. Yeah, it's not good. All right, Clarice, let's rank Rise of the Midnight Suns. Uh, I I compared it to Maximum Carnage. 
Maximum Carnage is more fun. Maximum Carnage is infinitely better, Matt. <laughs> I have I have a floor. Right, no, I have a, floor. I have an absolute ceiling for you. I have an absolute ceiling. All right, hit me. Hit me with that ceiling. The entire time I was reading this, I was I was thinking about this one and I was like, "Oh, I wish we were doing this instead." And then I remembered that we actually had done it. And that is this what is essentially this same story, The Supernaturals by Brian Toledo. Yes. yes. From later on in the 90s where it's not in the Marvel universe, it's like a it's like a side universe, but it's all the the supernatural characters Satana, Ghost Rider, Brother Voodoo getting together uh, to do some stuff. That comic's not good, but it is better than this at doing the exact same thing. Well, Chris, uh, I have news for you. We did not put that above Maximum Carnage. It's well above Maximum Carnage. Unbelievable. Supernaturals 1 through 4 is at 727 on the list. Maximum Carnage currently resides at 1065. I'm Matt, I am I am shook and shocked. <laughs> I I would agree that this goes below Maximum Carnage uh for certain. Uh do you think it goes below say Extinction Agenda, which is at 1101? Absolutely. Okay. I can tell you what happened on Extinction Agenda. I mean, not right now. <laughs> right. I to, I mean, don't challenge me on that one. I'd have, to, <laughs> I'd have to go back and read it. Okay. Does it go below Blackest Night, which is at 1126? Blackest Night is a better version of this story. Really? Blackest Night has Terry Long's zombie baby in it, man. I'm sorry. Okay. Is House of M better than this? Probably, yeah, Matt. This this thing sucked. I th- Matt, you, you hated this a lot more than me. Matt, this is not good. Has, the time has come to end this comic's cursed existence before still more die to slake its inhuman thirst. I thought this had had its problems for sure and was incomprehensible at points, but I didn't not have fun reading it at, at times either. That Darkhold book was pretty good, Matt. I'm gonna I'm gonna remind you that there is a page in this comic where a building explodes after a bunch of people die. Like, like, like Michael Morbius is in a building. He kills a bunch of people. He like tears their throats out and a bunch of people die. And then standing outside the explosion is Ghost Rider and Johnny Blaze. And Ghost Rider says, events have transpired in our absence. Yes. Yes, that's true. I, 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 I will say straight up, if, if we're ranking the issues, issue by issue, if we're ranking Rise of the Midnight Suns, number one is Darkhold, number one. Number six is definitely Morbius, number one. Morbius, number one, is bad. It's, yeah. But, he, but Matt, you even said that the worst thing about Darkhold, number one, is that it's part of this crossover. And I stick by that, but but it, it's not because of the crossover itself. It's because Darkhold Number One should just be its own thing, because it's it's got a good enough premise to be its own thing on its own. But I'm sure Marvel Comics did not believe that Darkhold Number One would sell 
unless it was part of a crossover. All right. Is this worse than Amazon's attack? My God, bees. Amazon's attack is bad. But, like, again, it's comprehensible. There's All right. like five sixths of this <laughs> of this crossover where I don't know what the fuck is happening. There's no way I'm putting this below Age of Ultron. All right. Okay. Listen, if that's if that's what I if that's what I have to do. I don't think it's worse than the incident from Action Comics 900 either. No, it's definitely not worse than that. That's or shit. Or Civil War Frontline. Or that Garfield comic where it's perhaps unintentionally homophobic. Matt, do you, do you really think this is better than those? Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you watched NASCAR? When was the last <laughs> time that you went to went, use MySpace? You're making my argument for me. <laughs> and that Garfield comic is intentionally or not homophobic. No, it's bad. I would put it below. I could put it below Superman, Wonder Woman, Sacrifice. <sighs> what is what's Superman, Wonder Woman, Sacrifice again? I don't remember? I, I gun to my head. I could not tell you right now. It's pretty fucking low on this list. Is <laughs> what it is. Yeah, let me look it up just to be sure, because I do want to know for sure. There's a guy named Creed in this who looks like a clown. Parentheses violator. Uh, okay, Superman sacrifice is a. It was the infinite that, crisis tie-in. It's an inf, it's an OMAC story, in which Superman gets mind controlled, and he and Wonder Woman fight. Yeah, that was that was bad. I have a hard time believing that Greg Rucka, Mark Verheiden, and Gail Simone wrote a worse story than this. Fair. We could put it below that. We could put this below that. We'll put it above this Garfield comic, then. All right. Rise of the Midnight Suns enters the list at number 1141. It did have that moment where Morbius threw a guy out of a window and said, time to take out the garbage. Yeah, it's great. But also, Morbius killed a lot of innocent people. Yeah, man. This is a particular kind of... like. I don't think comics are bad like this anymore. This is a 90s bad comic, right? Yeah, it's. I think it's the kind of comic where I don't think the editors are that worried about comprehensibility because they're just trying to sell a book on art and characters, which was a thing in the 90s that is not a thing now. Yeah, it's, like, it's not good. Writing is important in every comic now. There were comics in the 90s where writing was the third most important thing about the book. It's like the, it's like, uh, the, the great Dan DiDio said, where like he doesn't even know who's working on the book sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Folks, y'all yeah. should read that. Y'all should read that thing if you haven't. It's very insightful. And eye-opening all right that was comics catch-up for october we did the monster comics and i don't know that people are going to be happy i don't know that's where we ended up ranking i don't know why they would think we would not rank it 
lower. It's so bad. It's a mess. It's a mess. But if I you're do gonna, like Darkhold number one, thing, though. If you're going to read anything from it, read Darkhold, because Darkhold's good. I yeah, just like so from what I can tell. Like, this guy likes birds. <laughs> from what I can tell, Darkhold, the entire Darkhold series is on uh, Marvel Unlimited. And it's only like 16 issues. I might read it. I might read the whole thing. It would be some good spooky reading. Maybe we can come back and like uh, rank that one real quick next time we do uh, some every story in. Yeah. If you would like to send us a suggestion for a comic to catch up on, you can do it at warrocketpodcast at gmail.com. That's our email address. Or you can hit us up on Tumblr at warrocketpodcast.tumblr.com. Get us on Twitter at warrocketpod. Or uh, tell us on our Discord, which is by invite only. So if you want an invite to the Discord, let us know, and uh, we'll get you one. If you like this show and all the other stuff we do on the War Rocket Ajax feed and on Movie Fighters and Snack Situation, throw us a contribution on Patreon. Patreon.com slash War Rocket Ajax is where you can do that. Uh, we would much appreciate it. If you can't help us on Patreon, a... Shout out either through a review on the podcasting app of your choice of five stars or just by spreading the word about the show would help us out a bunch too. If you want to find if you me don't and my stuff, have a penny, a hay penny will do. If you don't have a hay penny, leave a five star review. Oh, that's nice. And Christmas is coming. The goose is getting fat. For me and my stuff, you can go to mattdwilson.net to find links to all of that my books, my comics, and my social medias. Chris, where can people find you? Go to the-isb.com. That's got links to everything that I've done. Uh, and you can also hit me up on Letterboxd. Don't hit me up, but you can follow me uh, as I watch uh, movies. We'll be back in November catching up on some more comics. Yeah, until then, even though the comic itself was bad. Matt, listeners, good catching up. Spooky catching up. Good catching up. Booed catching up. Gould catching up. (laughs)